1: Doctora Ramos, a la sala de espera. Hay un problema que afecta a muchos niños que no puedo resolver sola. Se llama estrés tóxico. Es la manera en que el cuerpo de los niños responde a experiencias difíciles, desde palabras bruscas hasta una pérdida dolorosa. Esto hace que sea más difícil combatir infecciones y enfermedades. También aumenta el riesgo de problemas de salud a
0: largo plazo. Pero hay pasos que los padres pueden tomar para ayudar. Aprende cuatro cosas que puedes hacer para superar el estrés tóxico en firstfivecalifornia.com. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. It's about 10.15 here in the morning on the East Coast of the United States, about 4.15 in the afternoon in Italy, uh, from which uh, our guest, our happily regular uh, weekly guest, Alistair Crook, uh, comes. Alistair, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. When when last we had spoken, uh, the uh, two drones had just been exploded and destroyed uh, over the Kremlin. I mean, we still don't know who sent them, how they got there, how they were destroyed, why they were destroyed the last minute, etc. But what has been the reaction either politically in Europe or amongst the populace in Russia, as far as you can tell, uh to the presence and detonation uh, of these drones
1: anger huge anger in russia uh a sense of humiliation i i this is uh i, I mean uh, i think you've mentioned it yourself equivalent of uh, a drone being fired and attacking and hitting the roof of the of the white house in washington it, it's a sort of Somehow, uh, almost a sort of 9-11 moment when everyone says, oh my goodness. Um, so what's happened, it's calmed down since then. It's, it's much more, the, the government has done a very good job of, of, of making very measured and careful statements, saying, yes, of course, we will have to react with this, but only in our own time and in our own way. Don't expect anything sudden. We're just going to get on with, you know, 9th of May today. And uh, so it it is it's it's calmed down. But I think the 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 big takeaway, I suppose, I would say, is that, of course, you know, when people keep talking about negotiations and because negos- negotiating what with whom now? I mean, you know, this was an attack on the president. I mean, as Russians see it, this was an attack, even if it was symbolic rather than uh, mm-hmm. uh, in practice. I mean. You know, what, what sort of negotiations are you thinking about? So it's going to affect uh, that uh, enormously.
0: Um, no talk uh, mirroring or mimicking um, uh, former president Dmitry Medvedev, who basically said words to the effect of, well, uh, Zelensky himself is now fair game. No, you don't hear anything like that out of the Kremlin after he made that initial knee-jerk reaction. Absolutely not.
1: And actually, the only thing we hear is from the Duma, the parliament, who, who say, listen, <laughs> you can't even think of that, because you know until there's a resolution passed by the Duma, uh, uh, a class flying him as a terrorist, you can't attack anyone like that. It's illegal. You can go to court.
0: You um, have a recent piece uh, published at Strategic Culture Foundation Uh, which begins with the ominous phrase, things are going uh, from bad to worse with extreme turbulence predicted ahead. In the piece, you opine uh, that the West has made a catastrophic error choosing high-tech over natural uh, resources. Can you explain and perhaps uh, tie it in, or I can poke you with some more questions, the war in ukraine
1: yes i yes i can of course it's more of a gamble for europe who has no natural resources than the united states which is well endowed with natural resources but nonetheless um, the united states has um, largely seen its industrial base vanish over the years by offshoring and other reasons and we saw um the uh, security advisor sullivan uh, pronouncing just recently about the need for a huge investment in new supply lines and new industry, going to reinvent the industrial base of the United States. But in Europe, it's more uh, critical. And what I'm saying, this is a big gamble. Never, never before have states gambled on tech as a substitute for 19th century natural resources, oil. Coal, steel, or iron or all those things that we need to run a modern economy. Uh, Technology doesn't produce energy. Mm. Uh, It may eventually, but it doesn't. And this is a huge gamble that we're taking, that we think that somehow out of this, something magical will come, which will replace our determination to go to net zero and move away um, from our, ba- our basis on uh, on fossil fuels. And of course, when we do that, we've gone through this period, which I call the golden period, where we've had everything, liquidity, you know, goods moving, capital going, movement of people, everything. Now we've gone into the period of the reversal, and we are taking the biggest gamble in that reversal, because uh, this was the period where there was low inflation, and no real cost to fiscal expenditure. Fiscal expenditure just was written off for debt and disappeared. We're now moving into a new era where things are going to be more expensive, harder to take forward, less efficient, and there will be fiscal real costs. And our shifts can only only be financed in three ways. Inflation, higher taxes, or the printing press. Because America is almost with its, uh, even with it, it, it's, um, its committed expenditures on um, medication and pensions and everything else, uh, it's already expending virtually all its tax base. Uh, so bef- uh, before base. the
0: war in Ukraine, much of Europe had uh, cheap energy from Russia and inexpensive uh, imports from China. Yep. Neither, neither is the case any longer. And we had and there was no reason
1: to give it up except they made this terribly bad judgment and they thought, you know, this was slam dunk, to use a famous expression, that, it, you know, that that, that Russia would just topple over in a few times and then there'd be a nice new Yeltsin-like figure come in and he would put all the prices down and Europe could go back to the future as it was with cheap energy and, of course, They completely, it's an intelligence failure, in my view, on a par with the invasion uh, of Iraq, when the intelligence services all based on 1997 when there was a financial crisis in Russia and extrapolated forward to today as if nothing had changed in Russia when everything had changed in Russia in the intervening period. Uh,
0: From Germany's silence... Uh, From France's uh, dalliances uh, with China, and perhaps from other uh, evidence of which you are aware and which you may choose or not choose to articulate, do you think that Western Europe has reason to regret uh, its obeisance to the United States, at least vis-a-vis the war in Ukraine?
1: Uh, uh, certainly uh, certainly there is a sense that they've made a huge mistake in if you like going taking this um the decision which was taken by very few officials in Washington, my understanding, which was not subject of consultation even with the Federal Reserve or the treasury um to sanction Russia and to seize its assets and um but I have to say. You know, Europe didn't take much persuading. They embraced Mm. it absolutely enthusiastically. Uh, You can't, you know, it would be wrong to say this was, you know, blame Biden for this. They made this error. They didn't do their homework. And now they have cut themselves off to having to take this huge gamble that somehow tech can replace all the advantages we had for those decades before.
0: What would happen... Uh, if Donald Trump becomes the President of the United States of America again and pulls the u s out of nato
1: well uh, you know the the answer is i uh, i simply don't know what's going to what's going to happen in 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 Europe is this because you know there is no political opposition in europe there's no political thinking there is just a monoculture that comes out of Brussels, which is rah, 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 you know, Ukraine, Ukraine. Where is uh, Leyen today? She's in Kiev sort of celebrating Europe Day with Kiev who moved, you know, the war celebration day earlier to the 8th so that they could have Europe Day today. So there's no, absolutely no sign of, um, you know, any form of thinking penetrating into the elites in europe they are convinced that they can manage muddle through by stopping any form of any form of protest and the answer to the the question of what comes next is they say you know net zero is not going to be a personal choice i.e they mean it's going to be compulsory, and that's why the eu is seriously considering legislation it hasn't passed but they're considering legislation that the Germans are up in arms about because it would limit the amount of meat you can buy to 13 kilos a year and that you can only buy five, eight items of clothing during a year. Well, you can imagine the type of system that you need to enforce this type of, uh, of structure in, in Europe. What will happen? What will the people do? I mean, eventually it will explode the political uh, the polis that's why i talked about turmoil coming turmoil not only in the sense of what is going to happen um in ukraine and with russia and china but but uh i mean uh, internal turmoil as well more you know, pronounced than in in the united states
0: it, it's it's uh, one argument to be made that the members of the EU have sacrificed some of their sovereignty, just like the states of the United States, when they formed the Union, sacrificed some of their sovereignty. But are they in a position to sacrifice the personal, individual liberty of the people that live there? I can't imagine Brussels Brussels telling uh, an Italian peasant uh, or a German aristocrat, how much meat they can eat or how much clothing they can buy. I just can't imagine a local government enforcing that. Look at what's happening in Dutch farmers
1: who are having to kill all their cattle in order to reduce nitrogen emissions. I mean, you know, this was the basic export, you know, Dutch export of of dairy products and dairy items was the mainstay. And they're uh, enforcing compulsory sale of farms and killing the cattle um in order to enforce us you know every time i i look at my telephone this morning and i see the my telephone supplier vodafone has said uh we have to change your contract because we've had a directive from brussels to change your contract this is how mm. it works now it's mm. sort of uh, you know executive
0: orders what is brussels um Hope, wish, expectation, uh, with respect to the so-called "when is it coming" Ukrainian offensive against the Russian military.
1: They're very, they're very worried by that now. Uh, I think, particularly as I say, in Germany and in France, the Czech um, president has spoken out very strongly. Uh, questioning it and saying, I don't know that it's a good idea to have an offensive at all, because it might go very badly wrong. Whatever happens, the Ukrainians are going to lose a lot more men in this process. So I think there's a deep sense of unease about it, but they don't know how to get out of this dilemma. They've they put themselves into this dilemma, and there's no obvious exit from it, other than to sit there and uh, wait for the worst to happen, which is the implosion of the Ukrainian project, and then and then what? Um, as I say, there's been no sort of real well thinking about this um, in the West. I would put it in the West uh, as much as uh, anywhere else. No rational, and everyone goes on. In in the West, we're still obsessed by narratives and stories. And you know, you see that on the uh, on the pages of the the main media and saying, the you know, to win you have to own the narrative, and we have the right narrative. You know, Ukraine is fighting for its independence and for its future, and Russia hasn't got a good narrative. So even if we lose in the battlefield, we've won the war. I mean, it's delusion.
0: That delusion, it almost, almost sounds like. Uh, in anticipation or expectation of uh, significant military losses by uh, Tony Blinken and company, if they're going to say, uh, we lost the war, but we won the narrative. Who the hell cares about the narrative if they've lost the war and the hundred billion American dollars, no bloodshed as far as we know, uh, that went along with that loss?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's evident. I mean, you know, the, I mean, this is, this is what is so bizarre is that, you know, because they feel they own the narrative. I mean, what happens in the battlefield is of subsidiary consequence. Well, this is nonsense. You know, there are going to be a lot of people who are die. It is going to be a humiliation for the United States and for NATO and the West because everyone in the world, apart from a few people in London and Brussels and Washington, can see the failure, can see that this is making for a disaster. I mean, as it stands, the Ukrainians have about 50,000 men prepared. Not all of those will be frontline troops um, for this offensive if it takes place. Uh, And the Russians have half a million. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, uh, even if mistakes are made, Um, and they're always attributing mistakes to Russia and not to anyone else. But even if mistakes are made, I mean, it's overwhelming. And just to put it very bluntly, the front line of this war, what was the front line? Financial war. That's been lost. What was the second line of this war? It was public opinion. Well, outside of Europe and America, that's been lost. When we started this war, Ukraine had the overwhelming size of an army. It had a big army and the Russians had a very small economy of force project. All of that is inverted too. Now Ukraine has no munitions, is short of munitions, It doesn't have artillery shells. Russia has a full logistics system, industrial uh, strength, supplying everything that the Russian forces need Uh, For the offensive. The whole thing has turned completely inverted, and there's no escaping. These are the facts on the ground. This is the reality.
0: I want to show you a a clip of President Zelensky. Uh, This is a portion of his speech to the uh, Ukrainian uh, people in anticipation of Europe Day yesterday or today I guess uh, yesterday May 8 it's very slickly produced it's in Ukrainian but you'll hear the uh, English translation I'd like your it's about uh, a minute long I'd like your opinion of it Alistair here we go
1: We fight now, so that no one ever again enslaves other nations and destroys other countries. And all those old evils that modern Russia is bringing back will be defeated just as Nazism was defeated. We will not lose what we have gained, we will return everything captured by the enemy, we will rebuild what was destroyed and together we will protect it all. We do not yet know the date of our victory, but we know that it will be a holiday for
0: all of Ukraine, for all of Europe, for all of the entire free world. Do the Ukrainian people believe that to the Europeans believe it? No,
1: I think it's pretty
0: obvious that,
1: you know, he's reading the writing on the wall that, uh, the United States is equivocating about the support about the Ukraine project. Is equivocating, and they can see that the prospects are very grim. Uh, and you know, I think he's um, uh, he's trying to project himself as you know uh, Queen Bodisseya or someone like this. This is, you know, I am the I am the standard of virtue of morality. I'm fighting for the future of the world in the hope that that will be enough to to give him a a sort of safe base and an income um and maybe even you know a a little bit more in the future i mean it's you know joan of arc you know i am there with my standard this is what the future is but i mean in the end you know what happened to joan of arc but this is this is um, what he's trying to do i think because he can see the writing on the wall that I mean, even this last week, it's been very obvious with the United States is changing the narrative and, you know, not only going to the sort of Pyrrhic, you know, Russia's got a Pyrrhic defeat, but I mean, they're talking about very clearly saying, you've got to do this offensive now because by winter, by the autumn, there will be no more money. And we know it's a policy because Borrell has just said the same thing in Europe. He said. And,
0: we, and, we know that, <laughs> and and we know that some Ukrainian leaders, not President uh, Zelensky, but others, uh, have um, cautioned against expecting too much uh overselling the uh so-called spring offensive.
1: Yeah. This is what I mean about you know, the the writing is on the wall. And for all those, you know, who've enjoyed the good times in Kiev with you know, uh, plenty of money rolling in and good restaurants to eat in and nightclubs to go to, uh, unlike the rest of the population. Those times may be coming to an end and everyone is thinking, you know, about their futures. And I think that video we just saw by Zelensky is, you know, the sort of Joan of Arc to try and make sure that, you know, he's still a figure somewhere in his exile in the future. And maybe he'll get lots of money to set up a, a government in exile somewhere with plenty of money.
0: I want to run another uh, clip for you. You may have seen this. This is, is Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh exploding and, yeah. and condemning by name the uh, Russian Minister of Defense and the chief of the Russian military for not supplying uh, the Wagner Group with enough ammunition. He's doing it in front of a pile of dead bodies, which has been blurred but he does uh, point to them and and use some uh universally recognized expletives but take a look at this У нас
1: нехватка боеприпасов 70% Шайгу Герасимов Где боеприпасы Посмотрите на них
0: Если вы даёте норму боеприпасов их Пять раз меньше. Они пришли сюда добровольцами и умирают за то, чтобы выжировали в своих кабинетах с красным деревом. Учтите это. Now he since has backed down from that. I, I gather the Russian high command has given him. Uh, more ammunition everything but yeah. but i don't think that was an act and i don't know what he expects to uh, accomplish by it but maybe he did accomplish it by uh by getting them to give him more ammunition what are your thoughts well it was a a, a highly
1: poorly considered um outburst but i understand it having been in somewhat similar sort of situation where you're trying to do something and everyone sits in London at a COBRA meeting and says, oh, this and that. No, you can't have that. You can't do this. I can understand that. It's not that there was a shortage of ammunition, by my understanding from people on the ground. My understanding is what they've experienced in these last few days is a sudden increase in the rate of artillery coming from the Ukrainians. There's only a small grouping in a fortress by two kilometers square in the west of um, uh, uh, Bahmut, but they had an increase and what he was complaining about really was the sense that you, he would lose momentum unless he can now escalate as they've escalated he needs to escalate ammunition even more to keep the initiative to keep the movement forward to keep the momentum forward and so he was angry and trying to put pressure he'd obviously been refused that probably by a bureaucrat, um, saying, oh, no, what, you had enough. And he's saying, "You know, I need this because they've increased it. I think what has happened, the Ukrainians have started releasing some of their stockpile of shells that they were building up for the offensive and given some to Bakhmut. So their rate of fire was going up, and he needed to get it high, as higher to compensate for that. And this caused this big ruckus. But I mean, you know, it's a storm in a teacup because it's all been resolved. He's got the ammunition. He's got more than that. I mean, it's, there's some very puzzling politics in here in Moscow because if you recall a little while ago, there was a, a, a general um, who was a deputy defense minister for logistics who was dismissed and was told, and we were told that this was something to do with corruption. What happened two days ago? He turns up in Bakhmut as a member of Wagner Group, as a deputy leader of, I mean, Ooh. how do you go from being a deputy defense minister to Wagner Group in one day, in two, well, a few days. How do
0: there, you go but, from being a Russian general to being a, 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 a private uh, militia, a exactly. soldier of fortune in exactly. one day? Exactly.
1: Oh. And then he gets Zorovinkin, who was the main architect of the last campaign. Of the defense lines and everything. So, Ravenkin has now been appointed as a liaison. I don't think there's any doubt that you can give a speech like the one you've just showed on the thing, survive that, get your ammunition, get two generals posted to you to help things out without some very high
0: connections and good wow. connections in Moscow. I guess, as they say in America, this also works in Russia money talks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Alistair, it's always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to our next conversation already.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: There you go. If you like that, my dear friends, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. More as we get it. Judge the Napolitano for Judging Freedom.